1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 14. 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 14. And the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was of the king's seed in Edom. Edom was to the south east of Israel. And the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. They were ruled over by kings before ever Israel began to have a monarchy. So there existed an Edomite royal house. And it was to this that Hadad belonged. The Edomites were long-standing enemies of Israel. And Solomon's father David, uh, in particular, was involved in a major conflict with Edom. Uh, In 2 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 13, we are told that David got him a name when he returned from smiting of Edom in the Valley of Salt, being 18,000 men. And he put garrisons in Edom. And all they of Edom became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. So back in David's reign, God had given victory to Israel over the Edomites. Yet, here in Solomon's reign, we find the Lord raising up the Edomites under Hadad to trouble Israel once again. So note here in verse 14, the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon. So what has made God so radically to change his course? In the previous reign, he had caused the Edomites to be crushed under David. But now the Lord has raised up the Edomites again to oppose Israel under Solomon. So why this turnaround? Why has God not allowed the situation to continue whereby the Edomites were a defeated enemy and of no danger? Why this change of course by the Lord? The answer is that it is Solomon himself who has brought about this adverse providence upon the nation. He has done so by his unbelief and disobedience, especially by his worshipping of false gods. So the Lord is now withholding his blessing both from Solomon 
and from the nation generally. And it is all because of Solomon's sin and his resulting poor leadership of the nation. The Lord then raises up Hadad to be a vexation, a cause of trouble to Israel. So we see here illustrated the vital principle that when men sin and defy God, the hand of the Lord will begin to work against them. When men sin, God will put a stumbling block into their path. This principle applies both to individuals and to nations. So if a nation turns against the one true Trinitarian God, God will withdraw his blessing from that nation and put stumbling blocks in their path. In David's reign, previous to Solomon's, God had empowered David to crush the Edomites. We read in verse 15. For it came to pass when David was in Edom, and Joab the captain of the host was gone up to bury the slain, after he had smitten every male in Edom. And so here we are told about Joab's successful campaign against the Edomites. And after that campaign, and it was a, a great long battle, Joab uh, spent much time burying the Israelites who had fallen in battle. Verse 16 for six months did Joab remain there with all Israel until he had cut off every male in Edom. So it was a, a long and hard and brutal military campaign against the Edomites. And as the Edomites were defeated by Israel, uh, we read in verse 17, Hadad fled. He and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him to go into Egypt. Hadad being yet a little child. So we are now learning about what is happening to the royal house of Edom. There has been a crushing defeat. Joab, the commander of David's army, has wiped out the Edomite army. And this is why Hadad, who at this time is still a very young child, has had to flee for his life to Egypt. And then we read in verse 18, concerning this flight to Egypt uh, by Hadad, and the royal family, and they arose out of Midian and came to Paran. And they took men with them out of Paran, and they came to Egypt. 
unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, which gave him a house and appointed him victuals and gave him land. So here we see that Hadad travelled to Egypt via the land of Midian and via the wilderness of Paran. And then when he arrives in Egypt, he is very favourably received by the Egyptians. We read in verse 19 here. And Hadad found great favour in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him to wife the sister of his own wife, the sister of Tarpanes the queen. And so Hadad, uh, this member of the Edomite royal family, is welcomed by Pharaoh, who deemed it diplomatically expedient to receive this enemy of Israel. And in time, Hadad would actually enter into a marriage alliance with Pharaoh. And so Hadad comes to enjoy a position of much preeminence in the land of his exile in Egypt. Yet, he never forgets that he is an Edomite. This is interesting. He is greatly welcomed by the Egyptians and he becomes part of the Egyptian establishment, yet he never forgets that he is an Edomite. Verse 21. And when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers and that Joab, the captain of the host, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, let me depart that I may go to mine own country. So Hadad, realising that the powerful warrior King David has now died, he sees his opportunity to restore the power of Edom, to return to his homeland and to trouble Israel once again. Now the point for us to remember is that the Edomites would never be able to recover any former power unless God enabled them to do so. The Lord was perfectly able to keep Hadad well out of harm's way, enjoying his foreign exile. And Pharaoh, as we see here, actually wanted Hadad to stay in Egypt. It was God, however, who moved Hadad to leave the comforts of his exile, to return to Edom, and to begin to make military incursions into Israelite territory. Which brings us back to verse 14, And the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. God in his providence had caused the Edomites to be defeated in David's reign. 
And Edom ceased to be a concern and a trouble to Israel. But now in Solomon's reign, the Lord decrees that Edom shall once more be a source of anxiety for the nation. The Lord stirs up this adversary. Because of Solomon's sin, and because of his lapse into idolatry, and he led the whole nation into this, God now puts this stumbling block into Solomon's path of the renewed power of Edom. And this is what we must learn. If a nation today turns its back upon God, God will raise up enemies to that nation. If we deny the one true Trinitarian God in our lawmaking, God will put a stumbling block in the path of Britain. And of course this principle also applies to individuals. If Christians are careless in their Christian lives and begin to become casual about holiness, then the Lord will put a stumbling block in their path. He will chastise them in order to bring them to their senses. And of course the Lord acts on this basis with the non-believer as well. The Lord brings trouble to sinners so that they are humble. So that they realise that the path of sin and unbelief is not the right path. The Lord is very gracious when he does this. If the unbeliever goes through life ignoring God, he falls into all kinds of trouble. And that trouble is the Lord saying, humble yourself before me. Now, we see this principle wonderfully illustrated in the parable of the prodigal son. That foolish young man thought he would take his inheritance early and go off into a foreign land and lead the so-called good life. And so he was ignoring uh, his family obligations and his obligations before God. So what did God do? He put a stumbling block in that man's path. He brought famine into the land where the man had gone. An eventuality which had never crossed the prodigal son's mind when he had first made his plans to go off and have a good time. Another stumbling block was that the wayward son was unable to find any decent work for himself because the hand of the Lord was against him. The best 
he could find was feeding the pigs, uh, which for a Jewish person uh, was something not to be desired. God has all kinds of ways of stopping sinners in their tracks. That wayward son thought he could defy God's commandments with impunity, but the hand of the Lord was against him. And he was brought down. He was humbled. Because God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Sin has consequences. Now when we as Christians today denounce sin... What does the world do? They say things like, you're a hate preacher. You're not showing love. When we call sinners to repentance, we are in fact doing exactly that. We are showing them the love of God. We are saying that if you repent, you can receive mercy. It's not an act of love to let an unbeliever carry on in his sin. That's an act of cruelty. And so if Christians back off from denouncing fashionable sins, that is not showing love. That is being cruel to one's neighbour. So we see this principle laid down here, that if a man turns against God, God will turn against him in all kinds of ways that he never expected. The prodigal son never expected there to be a famine in the land he went to to have a good time. As we see here in this passage, God is more powerful than any man. He is more powerful than the richest king on all the earth, Solomon. And despite all the glories of Solomon's kingdom, in the latter years of his reign, God brought Solomon and the nation down low because of their sin. Sin will always lead to stumbling blocks being put in both a nation's path and an individual's path. We see this principle at work in the life of Jonah. Jonah was commanded by God to go to Nineveh. But he ignored God's commandment. He was commanded to go and preach a difficult message of coming judgment and the need for repentance. He chose not to do that. And so we read in Jonah 1 verse 3, Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. But... The Lord sent a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea, 
so that the ship was like to be broken. So God put a stumbling block in the path of Jonah. And it was for his good. It was a stumbling block he never reckoned upon as he defied the Lord. Jonah never for a moment imagined that the Lord would use the weather to stop him in his sinful path. God is no less able to put stumbling blocks into the paths of men today. Nor has he ceased to govern the natural creation today. And so when extremes of weather afflict a nation today, that nation should ask, what is God saying to us through this? And of course, to remove God out of the picture altogether, what they do today is they say, oh, well, we're going to have to deal with climate change. Instead of humbling themselves before the God who controls the weather, people are resorting instead to this man-made notion of climate change and that man has got to do something about the climate. What man needs to do is submit to the God who controls the climate. God can use the elements today to stop sinners in their tracks. Suppose there were a major earthquake in London next week. That would be a call to the nation to repent. But how many would interpret it in that way? And how many in the churches would dare to say, this is the hand of the Lord? Psalm 104, verse 32. He looketh on the earth, and it trembleth. He toucheth the mountains and they smoke. Remember those dreadful floods two or three years ago? It was the hand of the Lord. But if some Christians dare to say that, they are mocked. The God who controls the elements controls all men's other circumstances and he is able to frustrate men in their sinful ways. We, we see this principle laid down in Deuteronomy 28, verse 15 and following. If thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments, there will be the following consequences. Verse 20. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that thou settest thine hand unto. Verse 23. Thy heaven that is over thy head shall be brass, and the earth that is under thee shall be iron. In other words, God will withhold the rain. 
Thou shalt not prosper in thy ways. If you turn against me as a nation, I will bring a lack of rain, withered crops, as a stumbling block to your rebellion. Do we believe that God works in that manner today? He has not changed. God ordains all circumstances. He ordains human sickness for all kinds of reasons. Faithful Christian believers may fall ill in the providence of God. And God has a purpose in that. Faithful Christians who are not falling into known sin may nevertheless become very ill. The illness does not mean that they are suffering a punitive rebuke. But the point for us to note is that there may be occasions when God deals with the wicked, where if he so wishes, he can use physical sickness as a rebuke. A stumbling block in the path of the wicked to graciously bring them to their senses. Job was afflicted with a severe illness. He was covered in boils all over his body. But through that, he came to understand God's purposes in an ever deeper manner. Now these are difficult concepts and teachings and it's much easier for the Christian to avoid these subjects because speak about these things and the world gets angry. But we're talking about biblical principles here. God ordains all circumstances. We have to try and discern the hand of God. And so, in Deuteronomy 28, the nation is warned that if they rebel against God, they will not enjoy good health as a nation. The word of God actually says that. And it is essentially the same principle which we have here in 1 Kings 11. Namely that those who ignore God's laws risk grievous stumbling blocks being put into their path by an angry God. Nations today which defy God should be seriously thinking about the possible stumbling blocks which God can use against them. God can bring war upon a nation in his providence. God can bring economic collapse upon a nation in his providence. He can bring civil disorder As the permissive society was getting well underway in this country in the 1960s and 70s, 
and as we had a generation arising saying we're going to cast off this outmoded Christianity which has shackled us for so long and, and all the politicians followed suit in this uh, you will remember, some of you, that in the 1960s, for example, the government uh, withdrew our censorship laws. So that uh, in the media, all kinds of gross indecency could now be publicly portrayed. The government deliberately chose to remove the safeguards. And, of course, the BBC lapped this up. And the BBC became more and more permissive and immoral week upon week. And so the nation was casting off its Christian foundations. Now, what also happened in the 1960s and 70s? The nation suffered from serious industrial unrest. There was strike after strike after strike. And British manufacturing industry was disappearing. As we were busy going on strike, the Germans were busy producing very efficiently their motor cars. And so we lost our motor car industry. Isn't it interesting that that happened as the nation was immersing itself in God-rejecting immorality? Also in the 1960s and the 70s, again, some of you might remember Dennis Healy going off and begging to the IMF to rescue Britain because the economic situation was so bad. Harold Wilson had to devalue the pound. There was high inflation. There was unemployment. Then in the early 70s we had the three-day week. You see, God was not blessing the nation. He was putting stumbling blocks in the nation's path. God can cause a nation to have poor leadership as a judgment upon it. If we look at modern Britain and we look at the general level of unbelief and sinfulness, does our nation today deserve to have God provide it with a stable, peaceful, prosperous society? Does this nation deserve abundant harvests and full employment and social stability? Does this nation deserve to have God bless it through his natural creation? Why should God use his creation to bless a people who despise his moral law? Why should God bless a nation which thinks in its arrogance that it can redefine the institution of marriage which goes back to the creation itself? Why should God bless a nation 
which has allowed 8 million unborn babies to be murdered since 1967. Murdered in the womb. Why should God bless with prosperity a nation which does that? Why should he bring peace and tranquility and social stability to such a nation? But you see, sadly, there's a problem in the churches here. Raise these subjects and you are accused of stirring up trouble and putting people off and being too confrontational. Just talk about the love of God. This nation has changed remarkably in the last 50, 60 years. There's, there's been a revolution in this nation. We have abandoned the Christian faith and we have embraced cultural Marxism. The creed of modern Britain is human rights and liberalism. If there's any attachment to Christianity, it's just a vague lip service and they're trying to mould Christianity into a secular image. Now, if we go back to say the 1950s, and we're not claiming that there's ever been a golden age, there's never been a golden age. But it can be said of Britain in the 1950s, uh, and outside observers have remarked upon this, that it was one of the most gentle, polite, and civilised places upon the face of the planet. And there was a very uh, well-known uh, sociologist and anthropologist uh, who remarked of Britain in the 1950s that a professional football match was as calm and peaceful as a Sunday school outing. And now look at the way English football supporters behave. An absolute disgrace. That kind of behaviour would have been unheard of in the 1950s. It was said by that same anthropologist that you would never in Britain in that era see a fight in a bar. You see, the influence of the Christian gospel had been so great that it had permeated even secular society so that people just behaved in a better manner. And if you go back to Britain in the 1950s, you would not have seen all the shops open on the Lord's Day. You see, we have changed as a nation. And we keep coming back to Proverbs 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And so here, as we see in 1 Kings 11, as Solomon turns to false gods and generally defies God's commandments, the Lord raises up a stumbling block in the person of Hadad of the Edomites. And the Lord in our day will raise up a stumbling block to a nation which defies him and the, 
The great pressure is on us today, with all the political correctness, to abandon a distinctive identification with biblical Christianity. We are now, we are told, a multicultural society. Therefore we must embrace all religions. Well that is exactly what Solomon did. And as Solomon embraced false gods, what did the Lord do? As we read in verse 14, the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon. If we embrace false religion, the hand of the Lord will be against us. Uh, One commentator concerning Solomon's rebellion against God uh, says this, Although Hadad returned to Edom in the beginning of Solomon's reign, it was only towards its close when growing luxury had enervated kingdom people that Hadad's presence there became a source of trouble and anxiety. And so Hadad only became a problem to Israel in the latter part of Solomon's reign. When Solomon departed from the Lord and when all his wealth and his foreign wives blinded him to God's truth, that is when the Lord raised up Hadad as an adversary. As long as Israel was faithful, God restrained Hadad. But when they began to ignore his commandments, the Lord raised up this adversary against the nation. So here is a lesson for our nation today. If we turn against God, as we are doing, God will put a stumbling block in our path. And that stumbling block may be immersion into a foreign superstate. Let us pray for God's mercy upon this nation on Thursday that he will restore to us our national independence and that we might once more become a nation which trusts in him alone for its security and prosperity. Amen.